Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just we just count it such a privilege to be able to come together to worship you, to um, just uh, to look at who you are, to magnify your name. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with us as we as we study this, that uh, we would come to understand you better, that we would submit ourselves to what your word says about who you are. Um, and uh, Lord, just that, that our love for you would grow. Uh, and Lord, we also pray for those who are unable to be with us uh, because they are uh, ill. Uh, Lord, there's apparently many of those this morning. And God, I just pray that you would comfort them, that you would assure them of your presence and just minister to them in their uh, in their time of need. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So last time, two weeks ago, we were talking about the sovereignty of God. Nice controversial topic. And we addressed a lot of the things in there, but we still have a little bit to go. So can anybody remind me what we mean when we're talking about the sovereignty of God? How uh, God sovereignly decreed everything. You made the distinction last time that's not quite his omnipotence. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that he is powerful enough mm-hmm. to do everything. But the fact that he actually does accomplish these things. He mm-hmm. decrees these things. Right, yeah. So he, God ordains everything whatsoever that comes to pass, right? Um, and we saw that scripture clearly teaches that. Um, and then we discussed um, one particular problem that this raises. Does anybody remember what that problem is? It's the question of how do we deal with man being responsible? Is man responsible? If God ordains everything that happens. How can man be responsible? Does anybody remember how we answered that question? The Bible teaches both. Right? Right? Yes. You basically can look at it as you have three options. Um, You can say um, that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are not compatible and man is responsible, therefore God is not sovereign. Or you can say man's uh, responsibility and God's sovereignty are not compatible, and God is sovereign, therefore man is not really responsible. He's just determined he's a robot. Or you can say they're compatible. So we can have God sovereign over everything, and he ordains everything that happens in all of history, and man is responsible. And those things fit together because the Bible presents them both, even though we can't understand fully how that can be. Uh, but kind of the, the big one we saw where uh, it's illustrated was the, the people of Israel had sinned against God, and God sent the king of Assyria against the people of Israel to punish them for their wickedness. Um, but then God says, but I look at you, king of Assyria, and you're just prideful and wanting to conquer the world and your intentions are evil and so I'm going to punish you for the intentions of your heart. You're responsible for your wickedness and coming and attacking Israel. Even though God had ordained the king of Assyria to come and attack Israel to punish them for their sin. So, um, 
It's, it's just inescapable that God ordained it and the king of Assyria was responsible for his sin. Um, so, if you're going to accept all the Bible, you have to accept those things. So we still have another problem we want to look at. Um, is God the author of evil? Um, I mean, this is a question that just naturally rises from the topic, right? If God ordains everything, if every single thing that happens um, is part of God's decree, the fall, um, all sorts of evil things that happen, you know, the, the Holocaust with Adolf Hitler, um, the, the synagogue shooting yesterday, the, the bombings over Easter, um, the, I mean, it's just all these things. It's like, did God ordain these things? Well, the Bible says yes. And if that's the case, is God the author of evil? I mean, that's a, that's a tough question, right? Um, and, I mean, I think ultimately, we can just start by saying, no, God is not the author of evil. The Bible is very clear on that. And we're going to look at a little bit just to refresh our memories on that point. Um, but some people, they will want to jettison the sovereignty of God um, in order to basically protect him, to, to clear his name from the, the charge of being the author of evil. Um, and um, that, you know, a, a common way to do it is to say, well, you know, God could control everything, but for him it's more important that man be able to make free choices. And so he basically steps back and says, I won't override your free will, and therefore man makes evil choices and that's where evil comes from and God doesn't have anything to do with it. Now, there's some degree of truth to that because it is, you know, man's evil choices that bring evil. Um, but it's not that God um, is basically just steps back and says, I won't override your freedom. Um, no, God has a purpose in allowing people to do the evil that they do. And He's not opposed to overriding people's freedom in order to accomplish his purpose. Um, I'm going to start here with a with a quote from Jonathan Edwards, and we're going to we're going to hear a few things from Jonathan Edwards uh, this morning. So hopefully this will help. He he worded some things fairly well. Um, this is what he says. He says, "Almost own that God sometimes wills not to hinder the breach of His own commands, because He does not, in fact, hinder it." Um, but you will say God wills to permit sin as he wills the creature should be left to his freedom and if he should hinder it he would offer violence to the nature of his own creature I answer this comes nevertheless to the same thing that I say you say God does not will sin absolutely but rather than an, uh, but rather than alter the law of nature and the nature of free agents he wills it uh, he wills what is contrary to his excellency in some particulars for the sake of a more general excellency and order, so that the scheme of the Arminians does not help the matter. And just to expand a little bit, because there's more of a context of what he's saying, is like he's saying, yes, I'm saying God wills for things to happen that are against his law, against, against his excellencies is the way uh, uh, Edwards puts it, uh, against his, you know, his commands to not murder, for example. He wills things that are against that for a basically a more general excellency that he is after. 
Um, and that's exactly what you know people say. You say, oh well, the more general excellency he's after is that man's freedom not be stepped on, basically. Um, and Edwards is saying, no, he's he's got purposes that he's accomplishing, and that's why he allows it. But it's basically the same thing. So if you're willing to allow that God allows evil not to step on people's freedom, there shouldn't be any problem with allowing God to, uh, or understanding God as allowing evil for other purposes, um, for the purposes of accomplishing his, his greater will. Now, some people will say um, that God only allows evil and he doesn't will it. Um, now, there's again, there's some truth to that, but you want to be careful. Um, because the fact is, either God allows evil willingly or unwillingly. Uh, if unwillingly, then he loses his omnipotence. Uh, if willingly, then it's correct to say that God wills evil in some sense. So just to say, oh, well, he allows it, he doesn't will it, doesn't really solve the problem. Because if he's allowing it, he's got to be allowing it willingly. Otherwise, it's like, well, I really didn't want to allow it, but I couldn't do anything about it. Does that, does that make sense? So um, we have to understand that even in the, that he's allowing people to commit evil, he's not committing evil himself, um, he's allowing it willingly. It's part of his purposes. He desires for it to be allowed. Okay? So, let's review briefly just the, the notion that, you know, just, just, to, just to make it absolutely clear that God is righteous. He is not the author of evil. Um, 1 John, sorry, no, John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, uh, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so, there, John is proclaiming, the scripture is proclaiming, that there's no darkness at all in God. Um, a lot of people will consider these doctrines, and they'll think, oh, well, God is, God is very dark. Uh, he does some things that we just don't understand how that can be righteous for God to do. But the Bible proclaims, not only that he does these things, but that there is no darkness in him. He is perfectly righteous. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, verse 13 says, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. So there we see, God is just, is, he's completely separate from evil. It's never something he does. It's, it's never something he's tempted to do. It's never something that he tempts other people to do. Um, I mean, it is still difficult to understand how he ordains everything um, and keeps himself separate from sin, but we have to understand that he has greater purposes in everything that he plans to happen, even though those things are evil. Um, so these verses, they, they, don't, they don't nullify the passages we've looked at. We can't look at these verses and say, oh, God's not the author of evil, therefore he doesn't plan things that are against his will. Um, it just doesn't work that way. You have to take the whole Bible. Um, and so to look at it in a little more detail, um, there's, there's two ways of looking at evil. Um, we can see uh, sin, when considered for what it is in itself, is evil. Uh, if 
somebody goes to a church on Easter morning and you know sets off a bomb and kills a bunch of people, um, that is evil. Uh, but when sin is viewed in relation to the entirety of God's plan, it is good that it occurred. Um, I know an example we talked about last time is the crucifixion. The murder of Jesus was a very evil act in itself, but considered uh, from God's eternal plan, it is very good that the crucifixion happened. I mean, that is our salvation. That's why we're here today. Um, So we have to understand that an act can be evil in itself, but when considered from the ultimate plan of God, uh, it's good that it happens. So it's perfectly just for God to allow evil for those purposes. A couple more um, quotes from Edwards along these lines. Um, It implies no contradiction to suppose that an act may be an evil act, and yet that it is a good thing that such an act come to pass. As for instance, it might be... I guess I, I should have read this before I said it myself, but yeah. As for instance, it might be an evil thing to crucify Christ, but yet it was a good thing that the crucifying of Christ came to pass. So there's Edwards saying the same thing. I've forgotten that that was his exact illustration. Um, The next quote here, uh, his will of decree is his inclination to a thing, not as to that thing absolutely and simply, but with respect to the universality of things that have been, are, or shall be. So God though he hates a thing as it is simply, may incline to it with reference to the universality of things. Though he hates sin in itself, yet he may will to permit it for the greater promotion of holiness in this universality, including all things and at all times. So, though he has no inclination to a creature's misery, considered absolutely, yet he may will it for the greater promotion of happiness in this universality. So, Again, there, it's just Edward's just pointing out that if you look, you can look at a thing individually and say, yes, this is evil, this is bad that this happens. Just, just taking it in isolation. But taking as a whole and looking at all of history and God's purposes, it's good that these things happen. And that is, that is why uh, God allows them. Now, this again raises other issues, and this this is kind of a way we can address the uh, another attribute of God, uh, the will of God, uh, which I don't have as a as a separate uh, study, but it, it pops up in here. Um, so, would you say that everything that God wills happens? Does God always? Does <coughs> Is his will always accomplished? What do you think? Always. What's that? Always. Always, okay. Is that the full answer? <laughs> Any other thoughts? That seems like a trick question. It's, it, is, it is sort of a trick question. <laughs> it is sort of a trick question, but your answer is correct. Eventually? Eventually, okay. Yeah? Is there any other way to look at it, though? Can we say that it is God's will when he says, you shall not commit murder? 
Is that God's will? Is that ever violated? Well, it's, I guess there's a perfect will that he expects. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's this, this you know, going to happen. Right. You know, everything's going to right. accomplish to build right. his kingdom. And so, yeah, that's, that's very much exactly what I was looking for, is we need to make a distinction mm-hmm. in the will of God. We can speak of the will of God from different perspectives. You can call it the two wills of God. That's frequently done. Um, I want to be a little careful about splitting God too much, but we can we can make the distinction as we, at least from our perspective, look at the will of God. And we can see that God wills things because they're good in themselves, um, but then he also wills things contrary to that sometimes for his ultimate purposes. Um, just a couple of scriptural examples here. Um, Matthew 7.21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there we have the will of God referenced. Is everybody doing that? Is his will always accomplished by everyone? In the, in the, in the sense that it appears here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Does everybody? No. Right? It's, it's just assumed there. It's like there's people who are not doing the will of God. So God's will is not being done in that sense. And there, that's, that's basically God's prescriptive will. That's what he has said. This is what you shall do. Um, but then we look at Psalm 115.3, and it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Yeah? Uh, John 1.14 Therefore they called out to the Lord O Lord let us not perish for this man's life Sorry that's not John It's Jonah Jonah 1.14 um, Therefore they called out to the Lord O Lord let us not perish for this man's life And lay not on us innocent blood For you O Lord have done as it pleased you And so there we see It's like I mean Jonah's a great example of somebody who You know they're trying to escape the will of God And there's just no way. God's going to accomplish his will. His, you can't escape God accomplishing his will. But yet, we have an example of, you know, God wills something and there's people who just don't do the will of God. Right? So we have to look at this uh, and understand that Scripture teaches that God, God basically has two wills. I mean, again, you want to be careful with that. But we can look at it from the perspective of that God wills things as far as what is good and what is right, and that is violated. But he wills things as far as his decree, and that is always accomplished. No one can ever escape that. Does that make sense? Like Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That's, and we, I don't remember if you were here last week when we talked about that, but yeah, Joseph is a, is a great example um, of Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. They were doing an evil thing. But God was accomplishing his will um, in sending Joseph to Egypt. So, yes. Now, there's some interesting statements in Scripture when it comes to God's will, God's desires, the things that God takes pleasure in. Um, And it's worth taking a look at some of these things. Um, Ezekiel... Uh, chapter 33 verse 11 say to them as I live declares the Lord I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked 
but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And so there we see God's desire, right? He's not desiring the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right? We have that that notion expressed here. Um, But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, it says, Now Eli was very old. And he kept hearing that his sons were doing, uh, sorry, he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is n- no good report that I hear uh, the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? So there's Eli pleading with his sons to repent from their evil. And then it goes on and says, But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So he's pleading with them to do what's pleasing to God. Um, But somehow behind the scenes, God is working, and God desired to put them to death. That was his will. Um, And in Deuteronomy 28, verse 63, um, it says that, um, it's a warning to the people of Israel as they're entering the land of Canaan. Uh, It says, And as the Lord took delight in you, sorry, as the Lord took delight in doing good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you should be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So, the interesting thing there is that it actually says that God will take delight to, um, to destroy you, to bring ruin on you. Um, how, do we, how do we fit that with the fact that it says that God... Um, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. How do we understand that um, it was God's will that the children of Eli um, should not repent? That it was his will that he punished them? How do we understand that? They went, you know, to the and I'm not don't have a full answer here, but we have, I think we have to say God delights in justice being done. Mm-hmm. Um, something he, he, I mean, that's just part of his character. Mm-hmm. If someone has sinned, the punishment needs to be paid. Right. He's also merciful. Mm-hmm. So, if it were possible that they would not, but being all knowing, he already knows that they're not going to repent. I mean, so there's that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not. I, I mean, I think I think Ben, you you really hit on, you know, what's going on. Is that God delights in His justice being done? Um, that's that's something that is um, is very pleasing to Him. Um, it is not pleasing to Him that the wicked should perish. He calls them to repent, but that doesn't mean that He's never pleased with their perishing. If the greater purpose of his justice being accomplished, that's something that pleases him. He looks at that and he says, yes, that's pleasing to me. 
my justice is being accomplished. And so we have to understand that, in a sense, not only are there, we can look at two wills of God, we can look at two pleasures of God, um, just from the perspective of, just it just depends on how we're looking at it. Uh, God, yes, God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked in and of itself, but when viewed from the perspective of God's justice and his wrath against sin, that he is pleased in um, the, the the death of the wicked in that sense. Does that make sense? What's that? Yeah, it is for his glory. Yes. Um... The Bible teaches very clearly that no one can resist God's purposes. Um, Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So, very clearly, God accomplishes all of his purpose. Nothing can ever stop that. But, in Luke 7, verse 30, um, it says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John the Baptist. How do we fit that together? God's purpose is always accomplished. Nobody can stop God from accomplishing his purposes. And yet, the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for them. Any thoughts? Is that for them personally or for their role? Because Pharisees are religious leaders. Mm-hmm. So it's their purpose, their, mm-hmm. their position. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure that it even like spells out exactly. I mean, they were rejecting Jesus. Was... Um, kind of what's going on, um, but still, in some in some way, they're rejecting the purpose of God, right? But God always accomplishes His purposes. How do we understand that? With that two kinds of perfect mm-hmm. will versus um, right, um, which is also. My understanding that goes to the Lord's prayer too. Mm-hmm. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Um, God has. And I was looking for another thing. Was like that. Where it is right now. God has decreed. This is how you should live. This is His purpose for our life. If you do this, you'll be blessed. Mm-hmm. And things will be well with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, we reject that mm-hmm. by His decree. Right. Said. Right. Yeah. And we go against His, his law. Right. Yeah. But that uh, also applies to, uh, I can't remember where it is, but the, his teachings on, God's teaching on divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the Gospels, Jesus says, you know, you're not supposed to, you, you put away wife because of all these trivial things. But in the beginning, that's not how God wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not how he desired it to be or something like right. that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, God's got his will, and people, people, excuse me, people reject it. People go against it. And I guess the, the thing I'm, I'm trying to bring home is that the only way that you can understand the scripture is if you view it as, in a sense, God has two wills. Um, and God has a purpose for the Pharisees 
that it's like this is what he's commanded them to do and they reject it um, but he also has his ultimate purposes and those are never thwarted and so it was his purpose that the Pharisees reject his purposes and we have to we have to wrestle with that grapple with that understand that those things go together um, and so if we're going to understand the way God wills things and the relationship between God's sovereignty and the existence of evil, um, we have to we have to come to grip with those things. Does that, does that make sense? Now, to get really to the crux of things here, um, we we've kind of like hinted at this, but the thing that underlies this is the notion that God has a purpose in everything that happens, including all evil. It's not just that God is arbitrarily saying, I'm going to will that somebody violate my law. He has a purpose in it, um, in every single thing. Um, Well-known verse, uh, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So there we see that um, God is telling us everything that happens to his children is for their good. Um, We may not feel like that all the time. Uh, There's all sorts of things that happen in our lives that we look at and we say, why did this happen to me? This, this, This just does not seem like a good thing. But God has declared that all of it is for our good. Um, that is the reason he's working things the way that he is. Um, Proverbs 16.4 says, uh, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. So, God has established everything for a purpose. Now, the alternative, um, and, and you know, people people don't like this idea. People don't like the idea that uh, God ordained evil things for a purpose. And they're like, well, how how could there be any purpose good enough to justify the you know the evil things that happen in our world? I mean, if you you know you pay any attention to the news and some of the things that that happen, um, especially things that happen to children, it's just like it's just heart wrenching to see the evil that is committed in this world. And you say, well, how, how could God have a good purpose in allowing this to happen? And that's, I mean, that's a serious question. But the, the thing that we have to understand is if you look at it from the other perspective, it gets far worse. Let's say that God doesn't have a purpose. Now, let's still allow that God's in control and that he, you know, he could stop it if he wanted to, or if he had the power to, um, and yet he allows these evil things to happen, but he has no purpose in them. I mean, what kind of a monster does that make God? I mean, if, if, if you just strip it down to the, like the common thing we talked about at the beginning, where it's like, oh, well, God just doesn't want to step on man's freedom. That's you know he would be violating the 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 integrity of his creature if he stepped on man's freedom and prevented him from doing things, um, and so there we have a God who has all the power in the universe and is capable of 
stopping people from committing these evil acts. And he's like, ah, well, I, I, I don't want to step on your freedom. And then he allows these things to happen. I mean, you know, it's like, look at the police. What if they did that? It's like, well, I, you know, I don't want to step on this criminal's freedom. I'll just let them continue to do the evil thing they're doing. No, we would think that those police are evil, right? That we expect them to interfere with the criminal's freedom and stop them from committing an evil act. Um, and the fact is, is that if God just says, ah, I, you know, I could stop it, but I don't, I don't want to, and I don't have any reason for allowing it to happen, other than just I just don't want to interfere with people's freedom, then that's just horrible. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody else sees it the, at the, with the vividness that I do, but it's, I, to me that's just terrifying, the idea that all these evil things happen, and there's just no reason. It's just God just, he either couldn't stop it or didn't want to. Um, but if we consider that even though it's impossible for us to really understand what God's purposes are um, and, and how these things could be according to his good purpose, we know that he has declared to us these things, he allowed them to happen for his good purposes. And every single evil act, no matter how bad it is, was all calculated to uh, bring about his purposes. And that he didn't allow a single piece of evil that wasn't absolutely necessary to accomplish his ultimate purposes. I mean, to me, that is just like a much better way to view it. It doesn't at all make God a monster. Uh, it doesn't at all make God the author of evil. It it makes it where the evil we see actually is, is in a sense, bearable. Because we know that God has a purpose in all of it, no matter how bad it looks to us. Does that all make sense? Yeah, well, I was going to say, don't, if, you know, if you stop and think about this, the one thing that becomes evident is you can't think about these things apart from God's other characteristics as mm-hmm. well. And just to even think... You know, when he, um, you know, when things happen that are awful and you know that God has control in that for a higher purpose to bring glory to himself, you know, he also is the God of comfort Uh for his people in the midst of that. So he sustains us even in those evil and those wicked things. But if if God said, you know, I, I, I... could do anything about that then he is no longer our rock he's no mm-hmm. longer our shield right. you know there it just leaves us people sort of high and dry mm-hmm. with no comfort no sense of justice you know a, a god that could betray them at any time right. I mean, it's just a, a horrible thing it is you know? yeah. yeah well god has no purpose when there is no god because i mean it violates the omnipotence on Omniscience. I mean, it violates all those things. Mm-hmm. If God had no purpose, then really Earth is going to crumble itself to a part because there, there would be no. I mean, if He's just going to stand back and kick the ball and let it go and just wherever it ends up, we're we're all going to be after each other. I mean, one way or the other. I mean, if we're left to our own wills. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I mean that is the ultimate end. Whenever people start picking apart the attributes of God. Um, all, all of God's attributes are they are a part of who he is and if we want to view God rightly we have to accept all of them and it's just very tempting for a lot of people to look at certain attributes of God and say I don't like that one and then but then as soon as you start rejecting any of the attributes of God everything just starts unraveling and you just you just lose God 
So we have to be willing to accept what the scripture says. <coughs> and with that, I've heard uh, our meetings before say, well, this characteristic is the primary characteristic. Mm-hmm. And so I don't understand how that, this, this would, doesn't quite fit in here. So it just means that it all, this, he's this way, except for when it violates this characteristic right. over here. And this is just always how he is. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely not the way to view it, where yes. you where you elevate one of the attributes of God over the others, um, and make the others subordinate to them. It's this is not the way God is. God, God is all of His attributes in perfect unity, um, and even though it's sometimes hard for us to see exactly how they all fit together, um, we know that that is the way it is. Somehow, um, in God, all these things work together in a unified whole to make up who he is and what he does. Now, as people often rebel against the sovereignty of God, um, they really um, dislike it, they feel um, they feel violated, they feel um, that their, their worth is not uh, properly um, appreciated if we, if we view God as being ultimately sovereign. Um, and the scripture addresses this um, a few ways, but the primary way um, is with the, the picture of the potter and the clay. Um, that's something that pops up uh, more than once in scripture. And it, it should put us in our place as we try to consider, I mean, we try to wrap our tiny little minds around who God is and um, how it all works and the justice of it um, we need to understand where we're at in relation to who God is. Um, so let's look at a little bit of that. Um, we have Isaiah uh, 29, 16. Uh, it says, uh, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. Um, and Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? So there we see, it's like people rebelling against God and Isaiah basically saying, no, um, God's in charge here. You don't really have any right to complain about the way God has made you. Jeremiah 18, uh, 4 through 6. Uh, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And then probably the most well-known passage that uses this um, this picture is Romans 9. Um, there's an ex- extended section in here um, where Paul is talking about the sovereignty of God and salvation. Um, how uh, God has elected some to salvation um, and there are some that simply get what they deserve for their sin against God. And people say, well, how can God be just 
I mean, he's, he's, he's doing what he wants. Who can resist his will? Um, and so Paul addresses this, beginning in verse 14. He says, what shall we say then? Is there in, uh, injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to his molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So there we see the absolute sovereignty of the potter over the clay. Um, and we also see uh, the idea of God's purposes here. Um, we see with Pharaoh, um, God raised him up for a purpose. It wasn't just because just he likes punishing people for their sin. Uh, but God had the purpose of making his name known, of showing his great power and his ability to just completely destroy the most powerful nation probably on earth at the time, at least in the region, um, and just all the strength of man just couldn't stand up to the power of God and the fame of God spread far and wide. I mean, when you when you get to the time when the Israelites finally do make it into the land of Canaan, everybody's like, oh, yeah, we heard about these guys. We heard We heard about their God. You know, and all the things that he did in Egypt, um, you know, God, in a sense, made himself famous by raising up Pharaoh for this purpose. Um, and even here, as he raises up vessels for destruction, um, there is a purpose there to, to demonstrate his wrath against sin and to demonstrate his great mercy for those whom he has mercy on. Um, I mean, it's, it's just an amazing thing. If it... I don't think that we would really appreciate our salvation if we didn't get a little bit of a glimpse of what God's wrath against sin is. Um, that's, that's, that's a purpose for why those things happen. Um, and it's, it's really, we're, we're in the wrong place if we say, well, God, I just don't think that this is the way you should have done things. Because we're, we're just pots. Um, God is the potter, and he... He has his purposes, and he does as he chooses. But, but what's interesting, in verses 19 through 24, it's the exact same questions mm-hmm. that you've been addressing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if God's will be done, then we're just robots, and mm-hmm. how can he find fault in us? How can he judge us? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing Paul says. And then the second thing is, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, if God, you know, raises up Judas for, right. you know... Um, for the purpose that he raised him up, mm-hmm. he's glorified in, in that. You know that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. So those objections have 
not they're not something new. Right. I think yeah. We need to to remember that you know as we come, but but it really does come down to the fact that God is saying, "I am God. I don't have to answer you." Mm-hmm. You know, and that we are so man centered. Mm-hmm. I think in this issue that you know we're we're trying, we think that we just know more than what we really know rather than acknowledging God for who he is i think that's really the bottom line mm-hmm. in these questions i mean i don't think that's what we lead with when we're answering people's objections right. you know but i think that's that's really what's happening right right yeah and i got to say i know i used this illustration in a previous lesson i don't remember whether it was on sovereignty or a previous attribute of god but a, a lot of times you know if you think uh, i i a lot of times our reaction to God is very similar to the reaction of a small child to a parent when they're being punished. Because from their perspective, they don't, they don't necessarily understand, you know. I mean, sometimes they do, but sometimes they just like, I don't, or, or even when it's not even punishment, even if it's, it's just something that is, dis, uh, is, is unpleasant to them and they don't see any good in it. And they just say, it's like, well, mom and dad, why, why are you making me go through this? I just don't, I don't understand. And it's like, and with the, with the mind of a child, they just, they can't grasp uh, your good purposes in the things that you're doing. Um, and so it's, it's very similar, even like as adults, was, I mean, the gap between adults and God is way bigger than the, adapt, the, the gap between children and parents. Um, and so our ability to really comprehend is just so small, and we need to keep that in mind as we are tempted to raise questions about, or like, is is God really just in what He does? God has declared He is just, and so um, we need to keep in mind that we just don't see the whole picture. God is ultimately wise. He He knows all. He is perfectly good, uh, and He rules everything according to His good wisdom. Um, and so we need to we need to keep those things in mind. Got a few minutes here. Um, what about application? What? How does this? I mean, this is like this is all like big heady philosophical discussion, right? Um, lots of the scripture. Um, how does this affect our lives? How do we, when we consider the sovereignty of God? How does that affect the way we live? How does that affect the way we worship? What do you think? First Peter, mm-hmm. uh, how he says in there, you know, these trials are coming to, to test you. Uh, God, God uses these evil things a lot of times, not just. It, the, there is a great and glorious and good purpose beyond all of it, but sometimes that has a very small intimate purpose in our very life where it's to draw us closer to God. It's to, for us to mm-hmm. realize our own weakness and sin and to turn mm-hmm. to Him. Um, we should go to Him at all times, but um, sometimes especially in adversity in prayer. I'm just calling out to him and, and thanking him for what he has given us, but, and also for the fact that I mean, there's a, you can pray to him for so many things, but but for the fact that there's an eternal hope beyond all this pain. Yeah, I, I'm thinking you're thinking this is heady, but I'm sitting here thinking, you know, if you're if you're struggling, you know, and going through bankruptcy, you have a, a, a prodigal child. 
you have a loved one who's dying, mm -hmm. you know, of a terrible disease, or, I mean, this is where we live, mm -hmm. is, is all this stuff that we're talking about. So, to be able to lean upon our God, and to know that things don't happen by accident, mm -hmm. that they are done, they come from His good hand, and His promises are true. He is our rock, He is our fortress, He is our strong tower that we can run to, and we are safe. You know, these, these things, this is what gets us through life. Mm -hmm. Is these heady things, yes. you know, to know who our God is. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's a glorious thing, you know. Amen. Um, although many times difficult, yeah. it is glorious. Mm -hmm. So. Anything else? And, and it applies to evangelism also. I'm sorry? It applies to evangelism also. Mm -hmm. um, it does? Because this means, I mean, we, we, we talked about this. Okay. earlier with uh, men's responsibility and all that mm -hmm. it also kind of goes with the, the, this too where you know we should be in prayer every time when we're evangelizing because it's it's God who does that work in that person's heart you can't they're bound for hell mm -hmm. um, unless God saves them mm -hmm. and uh, there's nothing we can do to change okay. that mm -hmm. yeah. so I have two pictures that I'm putting over here. Anything else? One is a picture that actually doesn't fit this small. This is when the roof, the roof coming on me. I'll throw out one more. Um, another one is that it should humble us. Um, just as we consider, um, just in a sense, how insignificant we are. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it should fill us with, you know, thankfulness and. God has saved us, that he has um, basically stooped to, to bring us up from just complete insignificance and has given us so many things that we don't deserve. Um, but really, when we look at it from our perspective, it's like we, we are so inclined to pride and self-importance and thinking so much of ourselves. Um, and when we view ourselves in light of the sovereignty of God, um, that really should humble us, and we should we should never be puffed up when, when we think about these things. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll end that there, and um, we'll um, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you that you are in control. Um, God, we just can't even really begin to wrap our minds around who you are uh, but Lord I just pray that you would fill us with a with a trust for you knowing that um, that you have your good purposes in all that happens whether we can see it or not uh, and Lord that we would just lean on your word that we would um, that we would just fully believe that whatever we see around us what you have said about who you are and what your purposes are holds true that you are a rock you are a fortress um, Lord we just pray that we would just continue to just have a, a better view of who you are that our hearts would be filled with love and thankfulness and worship uh, Lord as we go into the worship service this morning that um, that we would just have a, a clear vision of you that uh, the, the word would be preached with power and change our hearts that we would sing and pray and fellowship just um, in a way that that brings glory and honor to your name.
and brings us closer together and conforms us to the image of Christ. Pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.